missions um, and getting into the, the uh, idea of missions and what, what missions is, what we're, how we're looking at it here at New Life, and what, that's really what I want to see our missions program becoming. I've been praying about this for a couple of years, uh, actually, you know, all through COVID, and then uh, thinking about it, praying about it, and having conversations with people. And I want you to understand, every conversation I have with those of you in the congregation, uh, I take to heart, uh, especially when they come up when they're about ministry, and when they're about needs, and when they're about service. So all the conversations I've had with, with many of you throughout this last bit, you know, the last few years, has really been, uh, God has really been using that to work on my heart and work in my mind and formulate an idea uh, and kind of, especially coming out of this unprecedented time in history, in our history, um, to really move new life in a direction of, I guess just a, di a direction of, of uh, fruitfulness, a, def uh, a direction of ministry, a direction of uh, involvement. And these next two, today and tomorrow, or today and tomorrow, today and next Sunday, the sermons will be about local missions. That's why the uh, title of this sermon is, uh, this, these next two is, All Missions is Local. And that's probably not great English, not great grammar, but it's, there's a political quote, so that's where I took it from. But anyway, <laughs> wanting to look at what we do here, because as we've talked about the last four weeks, missions for churches is usually a foreign mission concept, where we have people come in and they give their, they, they talk about their ministry, we have a time where we ask you to commit to give and and, uh, and then we support people who are on the, a foreign mission field. And it's great. I, the missions program is great. If you, if you follow uh, Craig Olson, our missionary with MANA, uh, he's in Nepal right now. And man, the ministry that he's having there, and, and, and the first time he's been able to be back since COVID to see how that ministry has grown uh, has been amazing. And, and I believe with all my heart that we have a part in that. When you give to missions, you help to facilitate the gospel being sent to the world. But if that's where it stops and stays with us, then we've missed the point of what being an active, <coughs> fruitful member of the body of Christ, connected to the vine, connected to the root of Jesus Christ, is all about. And so, for these next two weeks... We're really going to focus on local, and I want to bring it home to you a little bit more because we live in we live in the most uh, throughout history the nation that has been responsible for evangelizing more of the world than any other nation in history. The United States is has been the great evangelizer as far as nations go. We have sent more missionaries and more missionary dollars out to the world than any other country and all other countries combined. It's incredible, my, when, my, uh, when, I was, when I was a real little kid, we had uh, friends that were missionaries in Brazil. And now, to see, to see that ministry grow to such a place where Brazil is now the second largest mission-sending nation in the world, it's worked. Missions has worked. But there has been a cost here at home. And the great danger of allowing other people to stand in your place in ministry is that you begin to lose focus. You begin to lose passion. You begin to lose purpose. And all you do is, is financially support a ministry and maybe show up and do your thing on Sunday and then forget that the Great Commission was to Jerusalem first, to your home first. 
And I believe with all my heart that that's where we are here in, in not just in New England, not just in Massachusetts, but here in the Springfield metro area. And I'm going to be sharing some statistics with you <coughs> that, uh, that, that will show exactly what I'm talking about. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word this morning, our text for the, these next two weeks. It comes from John chapter 12, verses 21 through 26. It's a story, an account that has always gripped my heart. It's always just kind of jumped out at me uh, as, a, as a verse about what it's supposed to be about for me to those who don't know Christ. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Once again, if you, if you highlight or underline your Bible, that phrase is powerful. Mm-hmm. Sirs, we want to see Jesus. I'll comment in a minute. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He was obviously talking about himself and his death on the cross. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You may be seated. We would see Jesus. Listen, I believe that's the cry of every human heart. I believe that's without people knowing it, without them being able to put it into words. As we talked about several weeks ago, I believe that's what people are looking for in life. People are looking for something. They're looking for a way to matter. They're looking for a purpose. They're looking for something to do with their life that is greater than themselves. They're asking us and telling us as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to see Jesus. Our response to that is truly the key to eternity. How do you respond to that Request. Like I said, they don't verbalize it that way. People out there that are not in church, people that don't know Christ, they don't walk up to you and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Can you tell me about him? So it's our responsibility as the church, as his children, as followers of Jesus, to do what we must, what we can, To show them Jesus. And that's what these next two weeks are going to be about. Us as a church learning, just, I mean, just kind of scratching the surface. And my, 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 as I prayed about this and prepared these and really talked to the Lord and allowed him to speak to my heart about this, this is not going to be a, you know, here's what we're going to do. You know, this is the plan. Let's jump into it. This is going to be, hey, I need your help. Hey, they need your help. This is what we want to do. This is what we have to do. This is what we need to do. What are you going to do about it? Arnold Glasow said, an idea not coupled with action will never get any bigger than the brain cell it occupied. An idea with action it's simply an idea. And we can take our time and sit around, and several people have come, many people have come and talked to me and had ideas, and those ideas are great. But I'll tell you what I tell everybody. I've got, I've, I've got a house full now. Uh, it's a massive change, man. I, yeah. Four kids in the house now. That's crazy. I have lost my... Uh, and there's nowhere to hide if you've been to our house you'll know there's nowhere to hide my house Um, and 
just the daily actions of running a church and, and uh, helping out over the school. That's my opportunity to do what we're talking about. But I can't do it all. And I wasn't meant to do it all. And the church is not designed for one person to do it all. And I have a sense and a feeling that our church is, is just ready to be unleashed on this community. That's what this is about. This is about telling you your ideas are welcome. Your ideas are needed. There is nothing, nothing too crazy. There's nothing too out of, out of this world that we won't consider. And I'll, we'll get to why in just a couple minutes. How to prepare and present ourselves for acting on God's plan in God's will and God's time. That's what we're going to be talking about. And we've established what missions is. We've established why missions is needed. And we've established that missions is the very heartbeat of God. And what I mean by that is Jesus Christ came down to this earth, was born, lived, ministered, and then died for our sins. He died for the sins of all the world. He died in our place because the Bible says that we are all sinners, not terrible people, not horrible individuals, but we're all sinners. We've all done things that have separated us from God. That is just the way it is. We can fight and we can argue and can scream and we can get into discussions with people, but that, that fact is never going to change. And we are in our own human condition hopeless, but Jesus Christ came to earth, lived and died in our place to give us hope. And that, that's, why hope, that's why Christmas is such a big deal for Christians, Christmas and Easter, because that is our hope. And we know that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid the price for our sins. And that as we as individuals, because we can't earn his favor, we can't earn eternal life, that by simply accepting the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and confessing him as our Savior and asking him to come into our hearts and forgive us for our sins and to become our Savior and give us the gift of eternal life, that gives us the gift of eternal life and makes us his child. That now lays a responsibility on us. We've had conversations over the weekend. Because I, I will tell you, as long as everything works out, these two girls will be chases. That's just the way it's going to be. That's one of them, their Christmas list. They're not in here, so I'm on the top of our Christmas list is to be adopted as a chase. Um, so we've had conversations over the weekend about what it means to be in our home. We've had to, if you've ever had anybody come in, if you've ever had people stay with you, that, you know, you've got the rules of the house. We've had those conversations and the responsibilities that go with it as well. You now represent us. You represent the whole family. You know, when you got married, you represent. We represent each other. Well, that same thing happens for us as we become children of God. We now represent Christ. And that brings it to the question, or the, the plea, sirs, we would see Jesus. How are we representing Jesus to the world? Now, the plan of action for the church has been passed down to us by Jesus to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, and to take on the ministry of reconciliation. Reaching the world with the gospel is not only in our hands, it's our responsibility. But as this quote I shared with you says, if all we do is talk about it, then nothing will ever get done. We must prepare to take action. We've got to prepare ourselves. We've got to arm ourselves with scripture and an actionable plan that will give us opportunities. A plan that will put us in the arena, in the middle of the struggle, making us soldiers in the fight for human souls. If that sounds dramatic to you, it's because it is. This is the greatest drama of human history. The greatest story of human history. The greatest conflict of all of human history is the conflict for the souls of men, women, 
boys and girls. That's what life is all about. Listen, we, we say this all the time. You can, you can win any argument. You can win any election. You can win any job. You can do whatever you want in life. But at the end of your life, if you come to the point where you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you die without him, you've lost. But if you accepted Christ as your Savior at the end of your life, you win. You get the brass ring. You are secure for all eternity. No less than the eternal destiny of our friends, families, neighbors, and many unmet friends is at stake. Responsibility lays at our feet. It's our mission. And while most of the time we assess missions as a foreign field work by those who give up everything to follow a call, that's just one act, aspect of the plan. Truly, all missions is local. That's a great slogan. And if we were running some kind of an office, uh, running for some kind of office, it might make a great bumper sticker. But we aren't and it won't. What it means, though, beyond a catchy phrase is that all missions begin in the local church with local church people with a desire to reach the local community and extends itself outward as it successfully builds a foundation and program that is strong enough, effective enough and functional enough to support every opportunity to reach a community that presents itself. That's what that's what we're looking for. That's what that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to see. I want to see a church that buys in to a missions program. Not just to send people overseas, but buys into a program for here, for us, for our people. For East Long Meadow, Springfield, Wilbraham, West Side, Chicopee, Enfield, and just keep going, Holyoke. Westfield, all I mean, just keep going. Agawam, yeah, even Agawam. <laughs> and Long Meadow, too. <laughs> and to be able to be functional, functionally prepared, so that every opportunity that comes up, we can at least get involved. We can at least lend a hand. We can get behind it and be part of it. All right, so what do we do with that? What do we, what do, we do with that kind of a, a big picture idea? Well, we get busy. We get active. We formulate a plan and put it into action. And most importantly, we do so with a sense of urgency. F.H. Henry said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Now that's deep and it's powerful. And you can pick it apart like I did at first. I looked at that and I said, oh, no, 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 no. The gospel is good news all the time. <coughs> but then when you start looking at the intent of that statement, you understand that that's very true. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. But just plunging headlong into an abyss and charging hell with a squirt gun is not wise. So what steps do we need to take to prepare ourselves for our local mission field? What steps do we need to take? What actionable plan can we put in place and what plan of action can we act on? What steps can we take to begin, can we begin to take right now to get ourselves ready to reach our local mission field. Well, I guess the biggest thing we need to do, because when I talk with people, and I talk with a lot of people, I even talk with pastors about this, about this idea, and a lot of people are resistant to the idea that the Springfield Metro, Springfield Holyoke Metro area, that's, where, that's what we are classified. For those of you who, who aren't into statistics and aren't into uh, census things and, and stuff like that, it's a big I've always loved statistics. That's why I'm drawn to baseball. Baseball is a numbers game. It's all about numbers. I love numbers. I, I got to a certain place in math where I didn't love it anymore. That was right around geometry. And, uh, but I love statistics. I love, uh, I love looking at stats. And, and with baseball, 
uh, I used to sit down. This was, this was, hey kids, this was, a, this is a story. Okay, this was before the advent of the internet. Uh, I used to take the newspaper, and I would, because I'm a Dodgers fan, and, and everybody's on uh, the Dodgers play on the West Coast. Their games didn't always get reported in the paper, so I would take the paper the day later, and and I was really concerned about av- baseball averages. I love the baseball average, all these things. So I would take the box score. And I mean, this is most of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I take the box score of those teams, and I look at the bat, at the at bats of each pl- of the, the players I was concerned about, the number of hits and walks and things like that, and I'd calculate the the base the batting average so I could see who was leading in the league in batting. I was, I was a baseball geek. I loved it. Still am, but now it's all done for me, so I don't have to spend my time with papers all around. But for numbers purposes, for the purpose of, um, of uh, percentages, there, is, uh, there are census that have been taken. The, the Barnett organization is a Christian organization, much like the Gallup organization, that does polls throughout the country. And they're, they're very accurate. They're very good at what they do. And when it comes to classifying metro areas of the country, we used to be class, we used to be connected Springfield-Hartford. That used to be a metro area because Hartford's only 22 miles away. But that, they broke that off because the Springfield metro area, the Piner Valley um, and the regions just outside it, we now have over 650,000 people in the Springfield-Holyoke metro area. I think there's something like 52 communities uh, in that general area uh, for us. So when it comes to national statistics and qualifiers, Springfield Holyoke is the metro area that we are connected with. That also brings in Enfield for those of you who live across the line. So the first step we have to do, we have to take is this. We have to see the reality and acknowledge the need. We have to see the reality and acknowledge the need. Listen, if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever started a business, if you've ever gotten involved in a project, if you've ever done anything with a community organization, there are first steps you have to take. And the first thing you have to explain to people, especially, right, especially if you're looking for A, investors, and B, workers, is you have to identify the need for people. And that's what point number one is, getting you to... Hopefully, see the reality and acknowledge the need of our area. Now, it may seem simple to you, and you may be with me in the nebulous macro big picture. I don't know what other modern phrases I can use to to hit that with. But not every Christian is in, in this area. People don't really realize how bad off our area is. Do you realize that? There are, some, there are some missions fields that we are still sending missionaries to from this country that are in better shape spiritually and evangelically than the Springfield-Holyoke metro area. That's a, that's a cold, hard fact, man. You see, when it, when it comes to breaking down needs, we can, we can look at America. And we can see that America has many, many, many megachurches. I'll tell you what, megachurches in Dallas, Texas do nothing for us here. Megachurches in Hartford, Connecticut, or megachurches in Ohio or California do nothing for us here. And if, if watching us, if watching a church online is how you get your religion, is how you get your walk with Jesus Christ, is that's how you fulfill it, you're once again missing the point of the gospel. Because the gospel is local. All missions is local. So let's look at some pertinent statistics. Nationwide, the percentage of nuns. Now, that's not a Catholic woman servant. This is nuns, N-O-N-E-S. A nun is someone who has zero religious affiliation, period. None at all. The percentage of nuns in the United States has grown from 5% in 1972 to 23% in 2018, the last year that a poll was done. That's massive. That's one-fourth of the entire nation 
Okay, that's a national statistic. One-fourth of the, all of America is, uh, ha, declares themselves none. 29% of the United States is considered de-churched. That means they have left church and they don't go to church, period. And they have no, a church, no church affiliation, even though they once had one. That's 29% of the country. That's almost one-third of the entire nation. And 9% of America is never churched. And that brings together, those, you, you team, bring those two together, it gives you a combined total throughout the United States of 38% of the population, two-fifths, four out of every 10, two out of every five, however you want to look at it, of the United States is unchurched. Now that's massive as it is. But that takes in the entire nation, okay, the whole country. That includes Texas. That includes Missouri. That includes uh, Mississippi and Louisiana and, and Kansas and Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas. That includes the Bible Belt. Okay? And some, many of those countries, many of those states and many of those cities are massively ahead of those national averages. So let's bring it down to local. 43% of Springfield Holyoke is considered de-churched. 43%. You can see the difference, right? 20, what was it? 29% of the United States, but 43% of Springfield Holyoke. That's de-churched. That's not unchurched. That's de-churched. That means they've left any church, not just the church like ours. That is the church. That is almost half of the Springfield metropolitan area. In round numbers, that's close to 300,000 people. That's amazing. 300,000 are de-churched. You see why over the last year or so I've said, hey, listen, you've got friends that used to be in church invited to come to New Life. I'm not trying to steal people from anybody else's church. Half of our community has given up on church, period. Okay? <laughs> and honestly, man, I'm at the point now, I don't really care what other pastors think about. I want, people, I want people connected with Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, the heartbeat of God is the heartbeat of me. And I'm more concerned with seeing people come to know Jesus Christ than other people's opinions of me. Listen, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be, we, we've got people, no matter what our decision was on Friday, there were people that were angry with us. I'm not talking family. I'm talking people in leadership that were angry with us for what we did. I don't care, okay? I don't care. I, I truly don't. If you, if you know me for any length of time, you know that I don't really care what people think of me. I'm gonna serve God. I'm gonna do what he wants me to do, whether people like it or not. And I believe that what we decided as a, as a husband and wife on Friday was the will and plan of God with all my heart. Those of you who don't know, my surgery that was supposed to be a week from tomorrow was postponed by the governor. Not just mine, everybody. Which means, which means my hip has been placed. I am the number one person on the list, by the way, that got canceled. Go figure. Um, that's, and that's true. But that puts my hip out for, not literally, it puts the surgery away for a while. And I, it was soul crushing. If you read my post, that's exactly what that post was about. It, it was crushing my spirit. It was devastating. I've been waiting this for over two years. And I spent some time with God and I said, listen, God, I don't understand. But you have that song, the goodness of God is so true for me because that's what got me through that. And you may think that's not a big deal. It is for me. It's a huge thing for me. I said, God, I don't understand it, but I know you've got a plan. I know you've got a plan. I don't know what it is but I want to be in line with you. And if, and if I need to, well, here it is. <laughs> here it is. I understand. 
I get it now. And that's what I've given my life to. And that's what I'm hoping that our church gives our collective lives to. The will of God. Serving God. Reaching people with the gospel. Whether anybody else likes it or not. Whether we're anybody's favorite anything or not. I want New Life to be known as a place where everybody is welcome. Where hearts come to be restored and to be to be filled again, to be reached and to be loved on. I'll tell you what, one of the reasons we, and I, I know I'm talking a lot about this, but it's very, very current and it's very applicable. One of, the, one of the big reasons to make the decision was because of you folks, and I'm not kidding. You folks are one of the biggest reasons we made the decision we did to say yes, because I know that my church loves people. And I know that my church will love these girls. And I know that you'll look beyond my craziness <laughs> and say, this guy has lost his mind, but he's got a good heart. And that's why I'm bringing this. I believe that's why God has laid this series on my heart. Because I know that if I bring this to our church, our church, I know your heart. So let's look at a little more of this. Springfield Holyoke, we have the distinction of being the most post-Christian city in America. That's crazy, isn't it? We are considered the most, I know that's, that's kind of, so I say it slow. We are the most post-Christian city, metropolitan area in America at 66%. And I'm telling you, it's not really even close, statistically speaking. Second to us is eight of, the, eight of the top 10 metro areas are in the Northeast. Boston is part of it. Um, the only state in New England that doesn't have a city or metro area represented in the top 10 is Rhode Island. Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, we all make up the eight of the top 10 metro areas. 66% of the, of the residents of the Springfield metro area, 66%. That's three-fifths. If you round up, you remember rounding up when you were in school? That rounds up to seven out of 10. <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean to be post-Christian? Well, I just happen to have those statistics. It means people have... Uh, percentage of people that have not read their Bible in the last week. By the way, all of these things, we lead the nation. Our area leads the nation. We are number one in every category. Have not read the Bible in the last week? Springfield Holyoke, 87%. Have not attended a Christian church in the last six months? That's a church that calls itself Christian no matter what the denomination or affiliation. Have not attended church in the last six months, 65%. Now, I'm sure that if we did that now, that number would be even higher because of COVID, uh, even if we added in watching online, okay? 65% have not attended church in the last six months. Now, we want to bring it down to what really, truly matters. Right here is the one have never made a commitment to Jesus, 60%. 60%, six out of 10, three out of every five people in the Springfield, Holyoke metro area have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's massive. That's getting up to close to the 400,000 people range. 400,000. <clears throat> have not prayed. Now this, this number, I've got to be honest with you, this number shocked me because I've watched this number drop over the years as I've followed these statistics. Have not prayed in the last week, 47%. Half of it, that used to, it used to be real low. It used to be in the teens and low 20s. Because people always pray, right? People, people never go to church. 
you know, they, they say there's no, uh, there's no atheist in a foxhole. And that's people, man. It's, did you know that it's very difficult to get credentials to go into, uh, to, to work at um, our local hospitals? It's possible, but to do the kind of ministry that is normal for a pastor throughout this country in hospitals, it's very difficult. I've actually volunteered my services, and not only did I get rejected, but I was finally just ignored. Half have not even prayed. Disagree that faith is important in their lives, 41%. Just flat out do not believe God, believe in God, 11%. That, that kind of shocked me because I thought it would be much higher. But 11% of our population in the Springfield metro area <laughs> does not believe in God. Those are the lead balloon that gets dropped on us. I hope you understand by seeing those why we can say without a doubt, without question, without any kind of argument or discussion, true discussion, it can be said unequivocally that the Springfield Holyoke metropolitan area is the number one missions field in the United States of America. We live on a mission field. We live in a mission field that's greater than many foreign mission fields, in greater need than many foreign mission fields. Our need here is great. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Say, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. That's us. Then he said to the disciples, and this is, this is, I believe, his prayer and his plea to us. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Half of our population, half of our region can't, doesn't even pray anymore. We've got to pray that much harder that God would burden our hearts for our friends and our neighbors and our family, that God would burden our people, that God would burden our church, that God would send other people out. You may not have the abilities that others have. You may not have the ideas. Lord knows I've got ideas, but they don't cover everything. And my ideas are limited to my experiences and my scope. And some of you have so many more experiences and you're, such more, you're so much more connected in the community and with people and you have... You know people better than I do. I'm talking human nature. I'm talking where people are at. Some of you who are younger, man, you, are, you, know, you know what the problem is with your generation and their view of God. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge the need and accept the responsibility and begin to pray. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. Now, we'll see that he said more than that. But the first thing he tells us is this. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. What? What do you pray? That he will send laborers into his harvest. <laughs> I actively pray almost daily that God would bring people into our church. And I'm not talking about seekers. I'm not talking about the lost. I pray for that. But I pray that God would connect us with people who want to be connected with ministry. With people who are tired of church simply being a place where they go to get their fill and then be sent on their way. A place where they're tired of being ignored and their desires and wants and needs are, are being ignored, spiritually speaking, and their passion is being ignored. I want God to bring people to our church People who want to be connected with God, with their church, and with their community in ministry. People that want to make a difference and revolutionize ministry in this area. Who want to see not only a revival among the people of God, but see an awakening of the lost for Jesus Christ. In John 4.35 Jesus tells us the urgency of the need. Don't you say there are still four months 
And then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. Because they are ready for harvest. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. Man, that's what we just did. That's what we just saw. And those statistics, most of them were pre-COVID. I'll guarantee you that those numbers are even higher after COVID. Why? Because, man, we're being heaven. And listen, I'm vaccinated, okay? I believe in science. I believe science proves God. I truly do. I think if you look at it with an open mind and not a bias, you will see how God works in everything. God has a plan and a building, and he has building blocks. People say, oh, the Big Bang. I don't believe the Big Bang Theory. I don't really care. Big Bang, hey, man, when God spoke, it was, and, and he spoke creation into existence, I imagine that was an incredibly concussive event. I imagine that made some noise. So, hey, if that's how God did it, that's cool. If you think that's shallow, okay. That's fine, but that's what I believe. But we've been told, and it's been made a point, and we've been, those of us who, are, who consider ourselves to be evangelicals have been ridiculed for not believing science. Listen, I believe science. I believe in COVID. I believe in vaccines. I've said this over and over and over again. I have, I'm vaccinated for everything. Vaccinated, vaccinated against Lewis. Vaccinated, vaccinated. I'm vaccinated against everything, man. But that doesn't mean I'm going to put my faith and trust for my eternal soul in science. Even scientists now are saying, or people, people don't understand what they're saying when they say, you put that out to the universe. Or they view, even, even Stephen Hawking said, if the universe felt the need to create itself, it would have. Do you realize, Mr. Hawking, I know, you, I know he's passed away now, with all his brilliance, do you realize what he was saying? That there is there was an intelligent design to the universe. Okay, now we're, now we're getting down the road where we need to go. Intelligent design, well, that's God. Okay? But... Let's, let's, let's move on. We're not going to get caught up in that. The reality is we're living in a mission field, the most needy one in America. We need to be comfortable enough to have open and honest discussions about that. Not negative, not downplaying, not hammering people. One of the worst things we can do as a church is judge others. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is look at others and tell them how bad they are. And bemoan the state of things. Listen, I don't have to worry about what goes on in other places. I have to be concerned about my house. I have to be concerned about my life. And let me tell you, my, my personal life keeps me busy enough. And I'm sure yours does as well. So I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not, I'm not getting into, now when, when you, start, you know, start talking about citizenry and things like that, I don't believe you can legislate morality. Truly, you can't legislate morality. You just can't do it, folks. Listen, you just can't do it. Take my word for it. You can't do it. And, and if you try, I've got a great quote here in a minute. If you try, all you're doing is, is putting lipstick on a pig. Okay? And I'm, I'm telling you, we need to be honest enough to admit that the job isn't getting done. We need to be honest enough to admit the job is getting, isn't getting done. We can bring in evangelists and we can have big crusades and we can have concerts and we see what that's doing for us. Nothing. It gets us fired up for a little while. But listen, can I just tell you this, man? And, and I've admired this, I admired this ministry for decades. But the Billy Graham Association is not going to reach Springfield. My, my favorite, Mac Powell, the former head guy of Third Day, He's not going to reach Springfield. Why? Because they don't live here. We do. And we've got to be secure enough in our faith, in ourselves, and our walk with Jesus to admit that the job's not getting done. In fact, we're losing ground. We're losing ground. Charles Spurgeon 
said this, let eloquence be flung to the dogs rather than souls be lost. What we want is to win souls. They are not won by flowery speeches. We need to be humble enough to accept change. And we must be open enough to reach out to any and all that need Jesus. If you look in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, you'll see that the crowd that stands before Jesus and says, worthy is the lamb and sings his praises, and those who throw their crowns at his feet and those who worship him for all eternity come from all nations, tribes, and tongues. So we, we live in an incredibly diverse area, an area with just so, I mean, we do this quite often. Look around, look around. There's diversity all through our, our church population. And we are reflective of the greater Springfield Holyoke community. Therefore, we can't worry about whether or not a person's skin tone matches ours, okay? We can't worry about whether or not they, uh, they've been raised the same way we are because no matter where they come from, no matter what they do, no matter what language they speak, they need Jesus. And that is the concern we need to have. Listen, I know we make a lot of when we, when we say, be ready with an answer for everyone. But folks, here's what local missions comes down to. Don't just have an answer, be their answer. Don't just have an answer for people, be their answer. That's what we're looking for. We want to be the answer we need. We don't want to. That's not enough. Wanting to, that doesn't cover it. We need to be their answer. We need to be the answer they're looking for and have the answer to share let their condition fan the flame of your burden. Secondly, accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy. By the way, for those of you who are, I skipped the whole, I just jumped way ahead, so just go back to where it was number two. Sorry about that. I flipped the page and started at the bottom. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Number two is this, accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy. And this is, this is where, listen, and many of you, we've had conversations. This is where you've had a problem with church because you could not come in and question anything, right? You were not allowed to question anything. God said it, Jesus did it, I believe it, and that settles it. Okay, for you. For you. But I have questions. <laughs> I have questions. Gabriel and Michael are in school, and many of those, many of you who have kids that are in upper elementary, getting ready to go into junior high, they're being taught things that are contrary to what we believe, and they have questions. You need to not be so upset and not be so arrogant that you won't address those questions. People out there have questions. Why are why are so many pastors nationwide? Why are the why are, why are the headlines filled with pastors having affairs with their wives? Why do I see the celebrity pastors out there? I've had quite these kind of questions have come to me. Why do I see the celebrity pastors jet setting and, and partying and, and drinking shots off young girls' stomachs and with, with all this stuff? Why? Sorry if that's crude to you, but I have those questions. <laughs> Listen, as a, as a pastor, I have those questions. Listen, dude, you knucklehead, what are you thinking? You're not representing Jesus at all. In fact, you're turning people away. So rather than being upset and angry and rather than snapping back at people or rather than having a quip to attack their questions with, we need to be willing to accept their doubt, their skepticism, and their apathy. We need to be willing to accept it. Now that's tough, I know, man. I know, because some of you were saved out of a life of, of roughness and Jesus has been so good to you that you just think everybody needs him and they just need to accept him. And that is true in the, that's, that, once again, that's a great bumper sticker. But life isn't lived on bumper stickers. Life is lived in the down and dirty and the needy. So if we are going to truly see our area as a mission field, if we're truly going to be willing to reach out and touch people with the love of Jesus Christ, we have got to be willing to accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy. In fact, Jesus, uh, or God, was, when God spoke to Isaiah, was giving him the words to write, he said this, Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. 
Let us reason together. Paul said he would go to uh, different cities and he would sit down and reason with them, sit down and have conversations. He would talk with them. He'd listen to them. What are your, what are your queries? What are your struggles? What are the problems you have with it? What is keeping you from accepting Jesus Christ? What is, what is keeping you from believing? We've got to stop being afraid of those questions. We've got to stop being offended. In fact, I think it's, very, it's a very difficult place for a Christian when we're offended by anything. Seriously. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Here's, here's why. This is, the, this is the theological reason why we need to accept their doubt, skepticism, and apathy. First Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them to guide them and lead them and give them understanding. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Not them. It's not because you're such a wonderful person or because you have so much intelligence. It's because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And now the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and is your teacher, your schoolmaster, your guide through life to help you understand. And if that's true, we have to allow the peace of God, which goes beyond all of our understanding, say to us, and teach us and help us to understand why we need to be able to accept people's questions, doubt, their lifestyle, whatever it is. We've got to be able to look beyond that and see their need and realize that Jesus is what they need. Not my judgment, not my opinion, not my doubt. The first thing that we need to do there, we're just, we're going to, probably wrap up with this and we'll finish this next week. First thing we need to do is this. Grow a thick skin. Listen, folks, as Christians in America, we are way too sensitive. I'm just being honest with you, man. We are way too sensitive. We think, we think everything is persecution. We think everything is an attack. Everything is a slight. And they might be, so What? Listen, hang around with the men of this church that love football for a while. Okay? Seriously. Even Jonathan has learned to talk smack. Right? I mean, what the heck, man? Cowboys win a game after losing so many, and all of a sudden he's going to run his mouth. This man, grow a thick skin, Christian. Don't stop being offended by everything somebody says about your faith. And show them Jesus by your response. Show them Jesus by your love. Show them Jesus by the way you continue to want to be their friend. Did you know that sometimes people just want to try to shock you away from them? <laughs> they're, all they're trying to do is shock you. If you've ever worked with teenagers, that... Uh, pfft, that's just, that's, they are hardcore in the shock industry. If it was a stock on the stock market or Bitcoin or whatever that is stuff there, you would buy shock because teenagers just continue to take that to new highs. So what? So what? So what if somebody doesn't agree with you? So what if somebody doesn't like the t-shirt you're wearing? So what if somebody doesn't agree with everything you think? You know, we, let me tread here. We are so, so careful and so quick to stand up for our freedom as Americans. Which, by the way, is not promised in the Bible. Do you realize that, right? The Constitution was not written by Jesus Christ. Right. Got real quiet there, and I think people just tuned out on Facebook Live. But it's biblical principles. Really? Okay. Thomas Jefferson, check him out. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, hey, listen, man, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Right? Right? George Washington, his dying wish is, is, is 
in his will, he freed the slaves that he had held. So I, I probably just went a step too far there. But uh, you know what? We're more concerned many times about our freedoms and rights as Americans than we are about the responsibilities of being a Christian. We need to grow a thick skin as Christians. We need to be willing to accept their question and their doubt and realize it's their right as a human being, as a created being of God, to even doubt him. Because don't you do that once in a while? And the same grace and the same love that draws you back. God's always going to win that tug of war, but man, do you put up a fight, right? And the same grace and the same love that brings you back is the same grace and the same love that is reaching out to them and is supposed to be reached out through your life and your attitude. So Christians, new lifers, grow a thick skin. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12 says, You, however, followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, listen to this one. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Promise from the Bible. You're going to struggle. You're going to go through tough times. Now, what we deem persecution is a whole lot different than what Paul went through. Paul was left for dead twice. Dude was left for dead twice. And not because they gave up, because they thought he was dead. (laughs) They got back up. He's like, he's like, no, I won't say it. He's like Rocky. He just keeps getting back up. Right? What they, may ha- what they may have to say may not be pretty, but it is true. And listen, it's okay. It's okay to take that offense in and be offended by it. But don't take your offense to them. Take your offense to God. Say, okay, God, first of all, why does this bother me so much? What is it about me that this bothers so much because it's not just because they said something against your name. It's never that easy. Okay. There's something about you that has happened in your life that is, that's bothering. And that's an opportunity for you to say, okay, God, open that door to that dark, dusty corner and let's work on that. Okay. So take your offense to God and then move on. But don't take your offense to them and start a fight. Because what we're wanting to do is bring them to Christ, not push them away. Okay? So grow a thick skin. And I'll leave you with this last one, and we'll pick it up here next week. Because I want you to think about this week. Think about this this week. Don't expect unbelievers to act, think, or live like believers. Is it up there? No. Don't expect unbelievers to live, act, and think like believers. That's why you can't legislate morality. Because they're not followers of Christ. So you can't force the Bible on them. Just won't work. I'm excited, man. I'm excited about where God's leading and what he's doing. I'm excited about what he's doing at New Life and how he's burdening hearts and what God has for us in the future. And I hope you are too. So as we look at this and as we think about this and as we meditate and process this throughout the week, I pray that God will speak to your hearts and help you to grow that thick skin and help you also to realize that you don't need to be expecting unbelievers. You know, you know what? Sometimes that, that just takes the pressure off you, right? Well, they're not gonna, they don't have to act like me because they're not a follower of Christ yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For the privilege of being in your house today, and thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I ask and pray that as we look at these, these truths, these facts, we'll understand where we're at as a, as a community, where our community is, and let the responsibility that is on us as followers of you to weigh us, to weigh on us, 
And not to weigh us down, but to motivate us. God, I pray that you'll impassion us and embolden us to be followers of you, to love you. And I pray, God, that you'll lead us in the way you want us to go. Bless us as we go here from this place today. Bless those among us who are ill. And I pray that you'll keep us safe. May we honor you in all things, Lord. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank-